Hello everybody, welcome to this week's episode. It's Andy here, hope you're doing well. Today we have a great special guest. We have Carl Morris. Now Carl has actually been on our podcast now. This will be his third time. So um, we're not running out of guests. We actually do just really enjoy having some conversations with Carl. He always brings loads of value. And most importantly, practical things that you can actually put into your game and your life um, straight away. And if you don't know Carl, Carl is one of the world's leading performance coaches, worked with numerous uh, major winners, European Tour, PGA Tour, LPGA, etc. And he's had some incredible success. Carl is also the founder of The Mind Factor and has consistently produced outstanding results for clients in all levels of sport and business as well. Carl is also one of the creators to our website as well. They've been creating some videos over the last 12 months, which has been really well received by our members as well. This is a, a really good podcast. We go into the importance of goal setting and direction. We talk about expectations and sort of myths. And then we talk about concentration and focus on the golf course and also the truth about positive thinking. Is it actually any good for you? We know you're going to enjoy this one. Now, I must apologize um, in advance because we had some audio difficulties in this podcast and we thought about doing it again, but with the conversation was so good and it was so valuable that we didn't want to lose that uh, authenticity and realness of it. So uh, we do hope that you can sort of put up with the noise and, uh, and take the value from this. So... If you enjoy this, then make sure you screenshot this and tag us and Carl in on Instagram. And uh, if you can leave us a rating or review over on iTunes, it would be great. Okay, let's get into today's podcast and welcome Carl. So, Carl Morris, how are you? And welcome to the podcast. Everything good? Piers, I'm very well. All, all the better for seeing you two again. <laughs> <laughs> it actually is, how many times is this Carl's second time on the podcast? Who else has been on the podcast twice? Oh, that's a good question. I've got a feeling that you might be three times you know, to the podcast. I think this is three, Andy. It's three, because you did the one just yeah. as we went into lockdown last year. Oh, you're right, yeah, you're right. And then we did one when we were in... Uh, Stockport. Stockport, yeah, yeah. Yeah, gosh. So, Actually, there's nobody been there three times then. No, actually, it's Stockport. No one could have three. <laughs> anyway, nice to see you. I hope you had a good weekend. <laughs> yeah, it's very good. Thank you. Yeah, as, as, we, as we were saying, it's nice to... Uh, hopefully, we're moving into some warmer weather, so... I think uh, everything's been thrown out of these last few months, doesn't it? So hopefully we're on an upward curve now. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Now, look, I mean, we joke about the fact this is your third time. The reason it is your third time is because you always offer massive value to anyone listening to this. And I know that whenever we speak to you and anybody's listening, they can always get some very actionable points out of those conversations that we have. So that is the 100%, that's the theme for today. There has to be an actionable point that comes from each discussion that we have. Okay, good. I, li I like that. Yeah, I like I like action. There's far too much theory in the world, so I think I like action. Cool. All right, let's kick it off then. So I think, obviously, look, this is February still. A lot of golfers are looking at goal setting and what they can do for the year. Now, we know that when you talk about this, you actually, first of all, you don't actually use the term goal setting. It's more the direction that you take. So you use direction versus goal setting. Why do you do that? I think I think direction it's 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 a play on words a little bit, Piers. But direction mm. seems to be a comma something that resonates with you a little bit more than when when somebody writes goals down. Uh, I think it was Fred Shoemaker said it can almost just seem like an advert, really, that you actually put the things down that you think you should put down. Mm. You know, your handicap reduction. You know, get your European tour card or whatever it may be. But but direction. I think seems to resonate a little bit deeper level. And, you know, one, one of the questions I think that goes along with that, you know, and one I think at this time of year, I would definitely recommend everybody consider is, is that huge question. It's a simple question, but it's a huge one. Why do I play golf? Why, why do I actually do this thing called golf? Why do I invest so much time in it? So much energy, so much finance, whatever. And I think when you, when you get really clear on, on the reasons, the really important reasons why you play golf, I think then you can set yourself in a direction. You can, you can point yourself in a direction. And then I think it's great. Then once you set yourself in a direction, you know, with the likes of what you guys do, you can, you can build support networks around that. But I think unless you're clear on, on what your direction is, you know, if, if, you're, if your reason for playing golf is that you, you, you love competition, well, you can set yourself in the direction of competitive golf, mm. you know, and that might be that you challenge yourself, you know, club golfers, it might be that you challenge yourself this year to play a lot of different courses. 
you know, hopefully all that's going to be available to us this year. But I've often thought that one of the best things that club players can do is take the leap of faith and go and play this year more golf courses than you've ever played before. Mm. You know, because what happens when you do that, you actually engage a lot more creativity. Unfortunately for us all, if we're playing the same course over and over again, it's, you know, we go through the, you know, we pull a, pull a seven iron out on the 12th or whatever it may be and go through, play with the same people. Nothing wrong in that from a social perspective, but if you're really aiming at competitive golf, I think going into the, into the sort of uh, discomfort zone of playing some different courses can really make such a, such a huge difference. You know, I remember, I remember, you know, way back when with some of the players I worked with in the early days, you know, like Graham McDowell and, and Darren Clark, that the, the, the one thing that Chubby Chandler, well, many things he did for them, but Chubby was brilliant because young players like Graham, they were given the chance to play with Lee Westwood and Darren Clark and Ernie Els and things like that and lots of different courses. And, and I think we underestimate the value of new experiences, new experiences that just get the creative elements of your game flowing a little bit more. So, yeah. you know, I think this time of year and hopefully as a result of listening to this podcast if you don't plan these things they don't happen so yeah. you know it's it's time to as much as we can plan at the moment it's time it's time to sort of get the get the diary out have a look at what's available to you and, and even if it's not competitive golf if you want lots of different experiences you know we don't realize how fortunate we are that with with golf you know you as much as I love cricket, as much as I love cricket, I'm never going to be asked to play a game of golf, play a game of cricket at Lords. I don't think. I think that my time's passed for that. But you know, we, we can have a game at Royal Lytham or St Andrews or wherever it is, and you know that it, it, that's a wonderful aspect to this game. You know, I just just thinking about that. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask Pierce. Pierce, why do you play golf? Because it's a question that none yeah. of us like. I, I, I'd have to think about that now, but I'm sure my answer now would be a lot different to ten years ago. What do you play golf? I, I still think it's probably the same as it always has been in the, the challenge element of it there. So I like to challenge myself. I think the fact it's not easy, it's always different. You know, you can never, I suppose I could get bored quite easily in certain things, but like snooker, for instance, I'm, I'm competent at snooker, but I get quite bored with it after one frame, I'm done. Game of pool, again, yeah. decent level, but one, one or two games I'm done. Whereas golf, yeah, I could play 36 holes in a day and want to play the next day for sure. And I think, I think the challenge and the, and being so different, but yeah, it's a very good question to ask. It's what seems such an easy question, isn't is it? When, no. you, when you actually pose that question and very few people consider it with, with, with any kind of detail. And, and often the first couple of answers that come out are not really the, not really the, the ones that are truly meaningful yeah, to you. If, you. if you ask it a few times and, and get down to it, because then I think when you get really clear of why you do it, it's much easier to set a direction then. Where I think a lot of people just, as I said, they set goals because, right, it's the start of the season. I need to set some goals. And, and there's, not, there's not really that sort of deep connection to that goal. And then if you've played for a few weeks and you're nowhere near those goals, it's very easy just to walk away from them then and, and yeah, get frustrated. It's a great one to say, you know, you know, you use the analogy of jumping in the car and putting it in the, in the GPS or the sat nav. You know, you're not going to you're not going to go, well, I'm not really sure where I'm going, but I want to drive somewhere and then see what happens and then I'll do something. You know, it's, it's a lot. It's, it's not as vague as that, is it? And, it, and, well, and Just thinking and about the, 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 the worst thing you can do then is if you've been driving around and not, and not found the place that you didn't put into the sat nav, that you actually blame the sat nav for doing the doing the job. <laughs> That's why they blame us golf coaches, eh? Exactly. <laughs> but it is it is interesting because uh, you know I'm just think, just thinking and sort of evaluating my own thinking behind this, and we're in the the business to help people get better. Um, but some people want to set goals, and it might not be to get better. And I think for the listeners to this, they think, well, like you should set goals because that's you should be working on getting better all the time. But you know, for instance, I'm just thinking of me and my golf, and it's me and my golf, and. Um, <laughs> Like for me now, it's much more about the social experience and the nature and the, the beauty of going on a golf course and experiencing something new. So my goals might be more about actually booking to go to nice places, booking tea times, yeah. you know, and that just, okay, well, my, my goal this quarter might be, I'm going to book in three games of golf with friends and at different places. And that's a, a great thing. But without asking that question, you don't know what's important to you, do you? And the interesting thing is with it, Andy, when, when, when you get that and you, you just said, you know, you ponder what's important to you and it's the, 
maybe the social experience or the experience of playing different courses, beautiful courses, beautiful surroundings. The irony of this is that if you relate it to something Tim Galway said in the 1970s in the inner game of golf, which was way ahead of its time, you know, he, he talked about the performance triangle, which I know we've mentioned before, you know, where you've got ideally an optimal experience contains all three, you know, you've got performance, enjoyment and learning. But I think so much, so much goal setting is just purely driven by performance. As you say, get the handicap down, etc. When actually, if you create some more goals around enjoyment and some more goals around learning or directions, whatever we want to call it, you actually create a very solid platform and you might be pleasantly surprised then with what performance emerges from that. And, you know, yeah. you know it's been something I've been trying to suggest in, in some of the sort of Zoom things we've been doing recently that people, it's kind of like reverse engineer golfing success, really, where you actually focus on things that are really important to you that, that you might enjoy and you might learn, but actually don't be surprised if your handicap comes down as a result of that. Yeah. I tell you what's interesting, then I'm thinking on this as well now as we're going through this. What's one thing that's probably going to be top of most people's list? I'll tell you what's top of our list at the moment is making sure we go and play golf at Birkdale. So what's going to happen now is, so we're going to do that in May. So what's going to happen now is we're going to go, well, I need to practice. I need to work at my game to get ready for Birkdale. And I think a lot of people are going to have the same thing now. They can't go on holiday, but maybe they can travel 50 miles to go to a really nice golf course. So with that in mind, I suppose you kind of hit upon some of the things that you could be doing when we're looking at setting this direction. But definitely, have you got anything more you can talk about when it comes to setting the direction on, the, on what things you should be doing, but also some things on what you shouldn't be doing as well? Yeah, I think um, if, if, the dire if the direction is solely a, a, about performance and it's about achieving certain things at a certain time of the year, I think those are the probably the most limiting kind of goals, really. Um, we we, we kind of we know we want to get the handicap down. A professional knows he wants to make money on tour. He wants to win tournaments and things like that. Those are the kind of DNA goals. Whereas I think... When, when you're setting these directions, and Andy's just hit on a, on a great one there, when, when the direction is, is more around enjoyment, things like that, you know, you can't run out of that. You, you can't run out of those experiences. You know, if it, if it was a learning goal, what, what, what do you really want to learn about yourself this year? Well, okay, you might want to learn about how you react to setbacks. Now, all of a sudden then, if, if the learning goal is how do you react react to setbacks it's almost like you can't wait for a setback to happen <laughs> to see how good you are at responding at it so you see what i mean about how you get yeah. this reverse way in rather than you know i want to just get my handicap down and I'm, i want to perfect my golf swing and you go off and hit millions of balls but nowhere in there is the sort of um understanding that most of the time the game's not going to give you what, what you want in terms of shots and performance there are going to be loads of setbacks there are going to be poor days but if, if, you've, if you've built that direction in around a learning goal of responding to setbacks, you know, dealing with that adversity, whatever you decide to do, that, as I say, there's, there's, there's more than one way of, of having a really good golfing year. And I think the point we're making is a lot of this is what I call the non-obvious stuff. The, the obvious stuff has always been there. But actually, if the obvious stuff worked, a lot more people would enjoy the game and a lot more people would get the handicap lower much quicker. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I think I think from that then, really, Carl, and I think we maybe touched on this last time, is that I think because of the situation that we've been in, I think it's really apparent, and I know I, I certainly see this all the time, we all do, that a lot of golfers are out there not having fun on the golf course. They're not enjoying themselves on the golf course. So how, do, how, can, we, how can we all get more enjoyment out of the game? Because I, I just see so many people out there, they love golf, yet they're coming off and they're, the experience that they have isn't enjoyable, <laughs> even though they love golf. How can we enjoy it more? That's, um, that's a, gr a, great, a great question. When anybody says that, though, that's a great question, it means you've got to have a think about it before you <laughs> answer, doesn't it? Uh, but, but no, it, as, as you were saying, Andy, I was, I was thinking about... Um, there's, a, there's a brilliant documentary that was on Sky um, the last couple of weeks. I don't know whether you guys have seen it, about Tiger Woods, it's a two-parter. Yeah, I've um, seen it. Yeah, just simply called Tiger, and it's very, very in-depth about his upbringing, isn't it? And 
you know, there's good bits and bad bits come out of it. But I do remember reading, there was a chap called Chuck, Chuck Hogan who'd studied Tiger's upbringing. And, and he said, what, what was clear that Tiger Woods played golf from what he called a safe place. And what he meant by a safe place was that he'd got a very clear understanding that if Tiger Woods had a bad day on the golf course, it was Tiger Woods, the golfer, that had a bad day on the golf course. It wasn't Tiger Woods, the person. And, and I think, unfortunately, I, I mean, I certainly fell into this. Maybe you guys have as well. I think we've all at times fell too much into the trap of if, if the ego is attached to the outcome of what a golf ball does, we're, we're walking a very thin tightrope all the time. You know, if I shoot 68, I'm a good person. If I shoot, if I shoot 84, I'm a bad person. Well, you look at the nonsensical element to that and you think that the more we can understand that, that our value is not tied to what a golf ball does. So I think then you can get a little bit more into an understanding of a direction that you can go with this where perspective's a huge thing on it. But I would say, you know, in, in direct answer to your question, when people say to me, what is the number one mental skill that you would get players to work on if there was only one that they could work on? And after thinking about it for a long time, my, my number one is acceptance, to develop the skill of acceptance. Now, what sounds a simple word, okay, you're going to go out on a golf course and whatever the golf ball does, goes left, right, up, down, along the ground, you're going to accept the outcome. That needs, I would say, for anybody listening to this, if you decided to, to take on the monster called acceptance, <laughs> you, need to give, you need to give yourself a season to commit to it. And you, th this is a real direction to go in and you need to keep coming back to it. And it's something that I'll suggest to players. You know, I can think of a few European tour players that have done quite well with this, that will talk about it literally every week and it becomes a commitment every week that you're going to go out on the golf course and you are going to commit that you will accept the outcome of, it, of any shot, good, bad, or indifferent. Now, what that does, if you can get to that point where you literally will accept whatever outcome there is, that, that creates tremendous freedom in the movement. I honestly think there's a, there's a, there's a physical and mechanical, uh, there's a physical and mechanical consequence to non-acceptance that a lot of the funny moves that we see in golf swings, a lot of the crazy moves we see in the golf swing is because you, 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 your mind doesn't want to accept a negative outcome. You know, some of the twitching that we see on the putting green and yips and things like that, it's, it's a resistance to an experience. We do not want to experience a poor shot. Now, again, here the paradox kicks in that if you can completely embrace any outcome, that your body's then free to move. You actually, you're actually free to let the wisdom of the body take over. But the key thing with, with, with acceptance, and this is where the sort of complexity comes in, acceptance isn't resignation. You're not giving up. It's not that you don't want to hit good shots. It's not, that you're, it's not that you're not out there trying to hit great shots. You are. You're fully engaged in that process of creating each and every individual shot. But underneath it all, there's this, there's this commitment to accepting any outcome. And as I said, nobody gets it 100%. And, and it doesn't stay with you. You've got to keep working at it. But my goodness, the, 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 the paradise that can be found when you get closer to it, because ultimately, if you think about it, what you do when you get acceptance is you revert back to that person who first started to play the game. Because every one of us, when we first started to play the game, had much higher levels of acceptance than we do now. Kids have much higher acceptance than adults. And that's why one of my theories, of, of, you know, amongst many other things, that's why they learn so quickly and they, and they get better so quickly because they don't get so hung up on failure until success starts to happen and they're given awards and they're given jackets and they're given trophies and all the rest of it. And then there's a part of the ego takes over that won't accept anything less than good performances. This you know, regular, yeah. regular... Sorry, sorry, Pierce. Yeah, I was just saying that we, we talk about this a lot, and especially when we work with beginner golfers. You know, we uh, when we were at Three Hammers, we worked at a, a really strong beginner program, and it would literally be lesson one. Mister or Mrs. Smith would have they'd hit fifty balls in lesson one, maybe, and they'd hit probably one good shot. And when they get home, they say to their family, "How would you?" The family say, "How was your golf?" And that was amazing. Hit this shot; it went up in the air, and it was a, it was a beautiful golf shot. 
And then six months down the line, they can probably get 25 of those 50 relatively well competent, but all they're really talking about then is the, the, the 25 bad shots. Oh my God, I was rubbish today. I was terrible. But the reality was, you know, six months earlier, they're loads better than they were six months earlier, but because of they've had success, they're, they're beating themselves up almost. And you go to the highest levels of the game, yeah. Piers, and you, you two will have seen this so much. You get to the highest levels of the game and so many players fall into the trap of, you know, you, you see some of these players out there immensely gifted, immensely talented, hitting some fantastic golf shots. And there's, there's not even a flicker. There's not even a, a, a ripple on the emotional scale of appreciation for anything that they do because they've been so conditioned into, into perfectionism and over-analysis over that a lot of the joy of the game gets sapped out of them because they just don't appreciate the good shots that they hit because the, 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 what they've been led into is that because they are so good, they just cannot accept anything less than good shots. So it's almost like you're waiting for the worst to happen and that kicks off a cascade of negative emotion. And, and, you, and you look at all of this and you think that, you know, the human system's relatively straightforward in the sense that it'll, it, it'll go towards what's pleasurable and away from what's painful. Mm. And I think, you know, we don't look enough at this in terms of performance of the game. You know, why do people leave the game? Why do people start to really struggle? Because it actually becomes painful. Not physically, but but mentally. But it's because of we perhaps don't look at some of these these deeper issues that we're talking about here. I know it sounds a little bit therapeutic and a bit sort of lying on a couch and analysing yourself, but I think the question's worth asking, aren't they? Because you know it's a game worth playing if you can shatter some of these illusions. Yeah, yeah, 100%. that's a good point to sort of move on to the sort of the next topic, really, and that is expectations, because expectations are obviously key why are they so important though and i think one question to ask is how do we or how do the listeners establish like a, a realist a realistic expectation for themselves where they you know they they can understand well what's you know what's what's real for them to sort of um react to or or um yeah i suppose how do they establish that which is tough <laughs> it, yeah God, you're throwing, you're throwing all your fast bounces at me today on this session. I'm, I'm not going to get invited back for the fourth one, that's for sure. <laughs> um, no, I, I think um, the expectation trap. I, I've had a saying with players for many years. Um, when you play golf, expect nothing, deal with everything. And that's not a bad mantra to go by. If, if, you know, if there's one thing I, I do understand from being involved in this for 30-odd years is that even the best players in the world and the very, very best in the world, really don't know what's going to happen the next time they play. No, no matter how well they played yesterday, no matter how well it's going, you know, we never quite know what's coming along. And I think that ties in with something that we've talked about before, I, I think, is that, is that when you go to play the game on any given day, when you warm up, if, if the question is, have I got what I had yesterday? or can I hang on to those swing thoughts and feelings that I had at the range? We're kind of setting ourselves up for usually a bit of a disappointment. But I think when you change the, what I call the fundamental question, if you ask the question, what have I got today? Again, I think that's a really, really useful direction for people to go this year. Instead of going to the range, hoping you can hang on to something that's now gone and will never come back, or you can hold on to previous performances. If you start asking yourself the question, what have I got today? It's really quite liberating because, you know, every time we play, you know, we're slightly different. The atmosphere is slightly different. The conditions are slightly different. And we don't, we don't, we don't factor that in anywhere near enough. But when you go to the range and ask the question, what have I got today? You can tune much more into the shots that you're playing. You know, are you able to play a draw? Can you hit a bullet straight? Can you fade it? Where, where, where are you on the shot scale as opposed to, you know, trying to just move your body in a perfect way, hoping that the shots will come out? You know, as a few players responded well to this idea, I've said to them, there's no, there's no way that you'll have a good feeling in your swing every day. It just doesn't happen. But I've said to them, go, go to the golf course knowing that you may not have your swing, but you'll always have shots that you can play. Yeah, 
and and again that's really quite liberating that you know on a given day it might feel a bit ugly and it might feel a bit strange that all you've got is a bit of a cut into the fairway or whatever it is but there's a tremendous amount of satisfaction knowing that you've not played anywhere near your best golf but you've really thought well and you've responded well and you've got it round with what you what you actually have on this particular unique day you know Paul McGinley um, he, he was on the podcast I do a, a while ago and, and one of his reflections on his career was he said he wished he'd been more adaptable he said because you know the number of times that he would get to the range and you know this is a Ryder Cup player top top player he said he would go to the range and on, a, on a given day you know the draws were coming out really nice one after another and then he'd go there the next day and just couldn't hit that shot you know and, and they were, he was cutting it a little bit or, or whatever it may be and, and he said things changed for him a lot when he, he actually had a conversation with Jack Nicholas. And um, McGinley said that, you know, he'd assumed that Jack Nicholas had just won every tournament that he'd ever played, just bit in this beautiful soft fade all the time. And apparently Jack had said to him, no, he said it wasn't the case. He said he won, he won many tournaments with a mixture of draws in there on a given day. And some days it was more like he just had to hit a, a punch straight one. And I think, We've 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 prayed at the altar of consistency for far far too long, and and I think talking direction again another another direction. I think if a direction this year is, he said, "Sir, I'm going to set myself in the direction of adaptability." I think adaptability would be one of the holy grails for me, of, of getting the best out of your game. That you that you adapt, you adapt to whatever you've got today, the conditions of today, the golf course of today, the the, the environment that you've got today. And there's a freshness to that, there's a creativity to it. Whereas if we're trying to hang on to something, it's a really fragile place to be. And, and we know now that the research is so solid on this, you know, that humans are not, uh, humans are not designed to replicate movement. Humans are, are designed to ad adapt to an ever-changing environment. That's, that's how we've evolved. So, you know, the idea that we can stand there and be like a robot as, as, as lovely as that concept is and as, and as and a, you know and as many books as it sells it's just not it's just not how we're designed and it's not how we've experienced the game I've, ne I've never had a conversation with even some of the best players in the world no 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 top players ever said to me do you know what Carl I've had it on a string for three weeks I've hardly missed a shot it's, it's just never happened never ever you, you, you guys you've been around some of the you know best players in the world and sports some of the best players in the world and Nobody's got it for that longer time, have they? It's about adapting to whatever you do have. Yeah, yeah, it's just I think that's a great question to ask, and you know I think about the golfers listening to this, and we're just always trying to hang on to that feel they had two weeks ago, um, and when they were drawing it. But the problem is then they're creating resistance against what's actually really happening from a natural yes. side of things instead of actually asking that question, "What have I got today?" And then once they ask that question, they can free up and allow things to actually, you know, work more naturally, really. And I think that's just a, a brilliant question. I'm thinking to I'm, I'm thinking about Aaron here mm -hmm. as well. And you know, we it, it's amazing over the over the year how much his swing changes week by week, month by month. Yeah. And it's like you've almost got to you've just got to factor that in and go well. It's very rare that he's right on the money. We know when he's right on the money where his skull swing is. But even then, he doesn't mean he's going to actually score well. And he's scored well sometimes. And we go, and he's actually not swinging it great, but he's got it round and he's played the game. Um, and because he's just working with what he's got. And I think yeah, that's a crucial question I think everybody can ask. And we're talking, we're talking about someone directionally who's in the top 10 in the world. You know, so this yeah. is talking about those guys. Then it's going to be the same for the amateurs, that's mm -hmm. for sure. Like you've just said, Piers, he's one of the, he's one of the best players in the world. Yeah. And... He, he's he's not got it, has he? He's he's yeah. not got it a fixed golf swing. It's it's ever it's ever changing. So if one of the best players in the world is ever changing, what on earth is somebody off fifteen handicap thinking if they think that they're just going to repeat the feelings that they had last time? But the point you've made, Andy, is that you know I certainly fell into this when I was playing of just constantly, constantly in a state of fear, really, because you just you're trying to hang on to something. You had a good feeling on the range, and you're trying to hang on to it. Whereas when, when you shift that and go, well, that was me yesterday. What have I got today? What's going on today? There's, a, there's, a, there's a, so much more freedom to that. There, there really is. You know, I, I, think, I think we've talked about this before, but I always come back to a statement I heard, and I think there's genius in its simplicity. You know, one of the great players of all time, Sam Snead, 
when uh, apparently when somebody said to him, what do you do when, you, when you're hooking the ball, Sam? And he said, well, I just go to the range and I slice it for a while. You know, and, and that might have sounded a flippant throwaway comment, but there's some genius in that because he understood that his swing was just constantly in a state of flux. You know, if you think that the only thing that the, the golf swing can do is get out of balance, isn't it? it? You know, the path either goes too far to the right, too far to the left. There's too much going on with the face. It's, it, it's a constant balancing act. But if we accept that it'll never be in balance, we've always got to tr keep trying to work it back towards balance. There's less panic then. Yeah, I love it. I think that's a very, very simple way of looking at it. Hi everyone, Andy here. Just letting you know about something that we've created just for you. MeAndMyGolf.com is our membership platform that we believe is the best resource out there to improve your golf. And one of the questions that we get asked all the time is what's the difference between YouTube and the website? And the main difference being is that sometimes people can get lost in content on YouTube and not really having a clear structure or plan of where to go. So we wanted to create something that was, was really going to help golfers. We've got over a thousand uh, coaching videos on there, but our main thing or main feature on there are the coaching plans and we've seen some amazing results from these plans and these are basically carefully designed plans on all areas of the game so you don't have to think or worry about what to do we tell you exactly what to practice each week and whether you're looking to break a certain score fix a slice improve your putting or short game we have a plan that will suit you we're even staggered at some of the results that golfers are getting from these as well and we even have a private Facebook group where all of our members go and share experiences and support each other. Real nice place, positive place to be. And we'd love to see you over there and have the chance to help you with your game. So make sure you head over to meandmygolf.com and check out your free trial with no obligations to join. Check it out and see if you can find a plan and become a part of this amazing community. Let's, let's switch it up a little bit. Let's talk about... Um, <laughs> I'm laughing as I say, it's concentration. So one of the uh, big statements that we'll hear from golfers is I, I just lost concentration on that shot. So what's actually happening with concentration on the golf course and how realistic is it actually to concentrate for 18 holes? It's, it's impossible to concentrate for 18 holes, I would have thought. You know, when you, when you look at other, other spheres of life, peers, I mean, you know, air traffic controllers are only allowed to work for a certain amount of, of time, aren't they? You know, for any other experience, you know, if we, I don't know about you fellas, if you sit at a computer for an hour fully engaged in, in writing a program or a document or something like that, I don't know about you, if you, do, if you do a full hour, I'm absolutely whacked at the end of an hour. I've got to get up and go somewhere and do something else. So why the hell would we think we can concentrate for, for five hours on a golf course? I, I think the word as well is maybe maybe not 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 got the greatest connotations because I think when we were all at school we were all told to concentrate and look look how that went for most of us. I, I much prefer to use the word attention, and and then sort of get clear on what does your attention need to be on to produce better shots, and then where could your attention potentially go in between shots now. You've alluded to it, Andy, that one of the important things is the social element to it, to the game for you. Well, guess what? If that's important to you, that's what your attention should be on in between shots, if that's an important direction that you want to go. But actually, one way of thinking about it, the better you get at putting your attention on your surroundings or your playing partners, I actually think all the time that you're doing that, you're replenishing your concentration levels for a better way of looking at it. So that when you then come to play a shot, if you've got the right mechanism, you can get into the shot. You can put your attention on creating this shot. I mean, one of the things, you know, it's a, it's um, a Fred Shoemaker um, notion, not, not mine. I, I love the idea. Everybody talks about pre-shot routines and I, I, I never use the term now. I, I, I call it pre-shot creation. You know, you've heard me say that before. I love the idea. You know, routine sounds boring, doesn't it? It's something you've almost got to do. Whereas a pre-shot creation, okay, how good can I be at a pre-shot creation? What do I need to do to create this shot in this moment? And, you know, again, you, you, you're, I'm thinking of some of the stuff I've heard about Seve and um, some of the videos I've seen of, of him at his best. And he was you could see he was just so absorbed in creating golf shots that the one thing... You know, he never lost. He lost his. He lost his game at the end, but he never lost his imagination. He never never lost his creativity, and I think, you know, 
that would be another direction I'm going to throw at you. That would be a, a direction for people this year to think, can I send myself, can I become a more creative golfer this year? Yeah. Can, can I enjoy working, you know, with, with, with you fellas and, 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 and what are the ways I could come become more creative? You know, Billy Foster said on, on, on my podcast, he came on and said what the one thing he would do with a lot of players, if he had the chance to work with them, would, would in the summertime, you know, go out and play golf with four clubs, four clubs and a putter. And that's something that we used to do as kids, but that's been lost. Everybody's, everybody has got to have the full fitted set and all the rest. And that's great. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying go back to it in a three iron on the beach or anything, but, but I think, you know, treating yourself twice a week to just going out with a little, little pencil bag and four clubs and maybe change the four clubs each time that you, you do it. That's an, that's a hugely uh, enjoyable experience, but my goodness, you, 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 you're, you're sharpening your creativity and your imagination muscles by doing that. I think that's going to be a take charge uh, challenge, I think, hasn't it, for the take charge Facebook community? 100% we're doing that one soon, Carl. Go on, Andy. Sorry. We've got to do that one, haven't we? But that, I think that, that would be a good one, Piers. We could do it whereby we could set a challenge where you've got to play, let's say, I don't know, five, five rounds of, of golf with only four clubs. But every time that you play those rounds, you've got to change the four clubs. They can't be the same four clubs each time and see what the scoring looks like. I like it. Yeah, it's just as you were talking about Sebi and creativity, it just, um, I actually saw something the weekend. Obviously, Pebble Beach was the last week and they were showing some replays of um, Sam Sneed and um, Jack Nicholas playing it and hitting shots to the, you know, and, and you know, you talking about Seven in his short game and you saw Jack Nicholas and they showed you him having a putt and how, how I, I can't remember, well, how crouched he was over the golf ball and how unorthodox his setup was. He's not thinking about getting everything neutral and getting the spine in the right place and things like that. His was very much about the creation of the putt. And you think back to Seve and, and you know, when you look at his technique, it wasn't, it didn't look like, modern day's technique mm-hmm. where you, when you look on Instagram now you see a you see a um like a pitch shot and everyone seems to be playing this pitch shot the same which is very much focused on a certain technique instead of actually the creativity of the shot and that's what I think that when I look back at some of the older players like Sebi and Nicholas you look at them and they're not thinking about the position of their right arm when they're moving through the shot they're really absorbed in what they're trying to produce, where the ball's going to land, you know. Um, it was just fascinating to see how things are changing and certainly there's so much attention on technique and we're not saying it's important, but I think having that focus on the creation of what they, what they want to happen, what do they want that ball to do? Um, and as you always talk about, Carl, you know, the body will organise movements when given a clear intention. I just think that's just an amazing thing to remember and certainly I look at those older players and their focus is certainly on that clear intention and they're not thinking about the movement. We don't talk enough about that, Andy, do we? You know, this, I this, think it's, this, it's an amazing thought, I think. You know, but that's, it's not just a thought, it's just the way things are. If you look at everything that we do, you know, a, a baby learns to walk around the intention of walking because he or she sees other humans walking. You know, we brush our teeth through a clear intention. We, we've evolved, you know, to throw things, to catch things, to gather things that, you know, we've said it before. Fortunately, when we were roaming around in caves, there were no, there were no force plates and, and, and spear throwing coaches. Otherwise, we'd never, we're probably the dinosaurs, you know, we'd have gone with the dinosaurs. But, you know, you mentioned Jack Nicholas there, and I'd recommend everybody do, do two things as some homework after, after this, after listening to this podcast. One, a bit of homework is, is watch, put, punch into YouTube, Jack Nicholas holding putts or holding an important putt. And, and as you've just said, Andy, watch, watch him do it. And, and the sort of awkward crouch stance. But what, what you'll find interesting is, is what I call the way Jack looks at the putt. And he, and he did seem to take a long time looking at the hole. And I, and I believe it was Angelo Arguet, one of his caddies, once said to him, Jack, why do you look at the hole so long? He said, he said, I don't feel like, he said, I don't feel like pulling the trigger unless I've seen it going in, which I think is a great, a great line of, you know, he was so absorbed in what the golf ball needed to do. The other piece of homework for everybody is to punch in British Open 1976 and go, go and have a look at that. 
and there's a fantastic piece of footage. We've mentioned Seve. That was where he announced himself on the world stage. He was only 19, I think, at the time. And he finished second to Johnny Miller at a, at a bone dry. It was, it was a long, hot summer of 76. Um, probably you two were not around at that point, I wouldn't imagine. Oh, you? There was, uh, <laughs> no, no. Sorry, just interrupting. The most important, it was the most important summer for golf, I think, 1976. Because it was, was that the, when you came into the world. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was born. Sorry, carry on. <laughs> but but yeah, I mean, seven, 76, that great summer piers of 76. Um, watch the video for one shot alone, and you'll see Seve on the final hole at Burtdale. He's missed the green on the left-hand side. And Miller's way away in first place, but Seve needs a four to finish second to Jack Nicholas. And he's faced with this pitch. If you've played, well, you've not played Burtdale. When you see when you play at Burtdale, you miss the green on the left-hand side. He, he got an impossible shot over the bunkers because the green was so hard and dry. Uh, but he needed a four to finish. And he, he can see him, and he conjures up something in his imagination. And there's a little, there was a little tiny gap between, between the two bunkers, literally, you know, just a few inches. And he played this audacious little pitch and run between the gap in the bunkers. The ball rolls out to four feet on, onto the green. Henry Longus said, that's not possible as the ball came and settled near the flag. and Even Johnny Miller mentioned it in his winning speech, what a great shot it was. But that, you know, I think we've lost a lot of that, that creativity, that imagination, that willingness to sort of try different shots that, uh, you know. I think I, just on Seve there, I remember listening to Faldo. I think he was playing with Seve in Spain. And they went up to a, they were walking into the green. Faldo approached the green quickly, he got there first, and they saw Seve's ball in the bunker. And he said to his caddy, I forget who it was at the time, it wasn't fan. Who was the, who, um, Andy Proctor, was it maybe? And he was saying that, um, well, let's see what he does here. You know, so that, that was the whole thing. You know, let's see what he does here. You know, so they knew as soon as he had a short game shot, even Nick Faldo, you know, at that time may have been a better player than him, was going, I want to know what he's going to do now. And I think he actually put it out of the bunker. But he got really? up and down and it was just a ridiculous up and down. And it's just full of imagination as opposed to, well, I must make sure the loft is here and I engage the bounce and faces you know yeah so it's it's really interesting when you hear about the greats and how they did it you know like you said Andy he's just giving yourself permission to to explore what can happen with clear intention when you intend to to fade you know how do you need to arrange yourself you know obviously working with a coach is a big plus but you know when it comes back to creating shots I think it's a real collaboration then I think when the question is always what's wrong with my swing it, there's, there's always going to be something wrong with your swing if it's based on, on the things that you see on a video or how it looks. But when, when the question's a little bit more about what's the shots and what's wrong with my shots and how can I improve my shots, again, it's, um, I'll say it for the last time, it's a better direction to... Uh, to <laughs> I'm pretty sure you can pull direction out of this next one as well because I've got another <laughs> great uh, little phrase for you here. And well, golfers trying to maintain positive on the golf course and have positive thinking. And I think we've spoke about this a lot. And if we just actually look at this process, common sense tells us that positive thinking is flawed. But can you just go through that a little bit, but also get golfers to understand some of the things? No, I'll go with this first. So yeah, positive thinking, where do you stand on that? Yeah, I mean, positive thinking, you know, it sounds great and just go out there and be positive and tell yourself you're going to hold every putt and tell yourself you're going to hit every fairway. Positive, positive, positive thinking is a great thing until it runs into reality and, uh, and, and, the, and the world takes over because positive thinking basically is that you're predicting something that you don't know what's going to happen. You know, I'm, I'm going to play well today. Well, you don't know. I'm going to hold this putt. Well, you don't know. But positive thinking is, you know, and Galway talked about this, that the more you try to be positive, you're actually suppressing and strengthening the negative because you, you, don't, you don't have to be positive to brush your teeth. You don't have to be positive to drive your car. You don't, you don't have to be positive to eat a meal. You just, you just do those physical things. So I think, you know, I, I think an understanding, I've become a lot clearer in this last couple of years um, working with a, a chap called Vin Harris, who's, basically been a mindfulness teacher for over 40 years. He, 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 he's part of the MSc in mindfulness at Aberdeen University. And it, and it really got me to understand that it's, it's really, you're not, you're not trying to change your thinking because I think every human being has negative thoughts that pop into the head, positive thoughts pop into your head from time to time. 
yeah, the people are more favoured to one to the other. But I think trying to change all of that thinking is just, it's just exhausting work. What you're really trying to do is just have a different relationship to your thoughts so that what you're able to do is just see thoughts for what they are that, you know, at the most inopportune of moments, you might think you're going to top it at the most inopportune moments. You think you're going to miss a put. Well, you know, that's just a thought that's popped into your head, but then it comes back to what we said earlier on. You can have these thoughts that pop into your head, but if you have a different relationship to those thoughts, you're aware of what they are, that they're just passing thoughts coming through. You can get back to your, you can get back to your intention. Okay, all right, I've just thought I'm going to miss it, but what do I intend to do? I intend to let this ball just fall in off that right-hand edge or I intend to hit this little cut off a bunker or whatever it is. You know, and I think that's what, maybe there's a misunderstanding when you watch good players on TV because they are so good. I think we think they're all stood up there and there's never a, never a negative thought in their head and all they're doing is seeing great shots. And it couldn't be further from the truth. I think, I think what good players are able to do is that they're able to play in the face of discomfort and they're able to play in the face of thoughts popping in that they don't want, but that they have the relationship with it where they can allow that to happen, but then come back to their intention. What is it, what is it, what is it that you intend to do here? Rather than positive thinking is predicting what will happen. You know, it's going to go in the fairway, it's going to go in the fairway, it's going to go in the fairway, oh shit, it didn't. Well, where'd you, where'd you go then? Just a, a quick question on this, because as, you, as you're talking, I'm, I'm thinking about stuff. What's the, what would you say is the difference between, um, let's say, positive and optimism? Because there definitely is a, is a difference between that. And I think, would you say being optimistic is, is good? And what would you say is the difference between the two? Yeah, I think, I think optimistic is a little bit more where you're, you know, you're optimistic that you can get out on the golf course and have a good experience, whatever happens. You know, you're, you're optimistic that you have the tools to deal with whatever the game will throw at you. Whereas positive, positive thinking is predicting something that's going to happen. You know, we're, we're constantly bombarded with this, aren't we? At the moment, we're, we're all predicting when something's going to happen, when we come out of lockdown, what they're going to, what's the economy going to do? And, you know, the only thing that we really know in life is that we don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> because, I mean, if, if we did know what was going to happen, we'd have, we'd have planned for this thing that we've just all been through for 12 months, wouldn't we? But I think, I think there's a very big difference, Sandy, between positive thinking and, and positive questions. So positive thinking is predicting a future that you can't predict, be that a putt, a shot, a tournament, or whatever it is. Positive questions are a very different thing. You know, when you ask yourself the question, you know, what does a good shot look like here? That's a really positive question. But that's something that can engage your imagination in this moment. What does this ball have to do to go in the hole? Is a really positive question, but it's not a prediction. And there's a real subtle difference between the two. You know, and I'd say again, for anybody, anybody listening to this, if you, if you can embrace this year positive questions instead of positive thinking as such, I think you'll, you'll have a, a very, very different experience. Brilliant. Right, Carl, we're going to get on to the quick fire, if that's okay. Loads of great things in there. I think certainly get a lot of people thinking, and I think that's, we want them thinking, but we also want them taking some action as well today. Um, always thinking get... and doing, thinking and doing, Andy, that's what we want. Thinking and doing, there we go. <laughs> okay, quick fire questions. Who's been the player that you've worked with you, you think has been, that maybe showed the strongest uh, mental side or mindset um, without question I would say Graham Graham McDowell he would have he would have been um, you know I've, I've worked with Graham 20 20 years now um, and you know he still has the capability to win he won last year in, in Saudi Arabia he's won numerous times on the PGA tour obviously won at won at won a major with you know technique that he would say is not not copybook or textbook by any means but Graham's one of the few players that I've ever met uh, or worked with that the more pressure you put him under the better he plays yeah um, many players go the other way but the, the more it matters the more it means something Ryder Cups made just things like that you, you know he's, he's your man to have on your side I'm guessing he's pretty good at acceptance too it's a work in progress, I think, even for uh, even, even for Graham. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's interesting just watching highlights. Obviously, Pebble Beach, you can inevitably you can see highlights of when Tiger won there in the US Open, but also GMAC as well. And 
just looking at how he played the last hole, you know, level par won the tournament and yeah. you know, he did a par up the last and he didn't he didn't have any ego in the shot he was playing. He knew exactly what the, the best outcome. He, he asked himself great questions and came up with a great result. You know, Graham, Graham's line, we, we've worked for years on this, but his, his great line has always been questions are the answer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a nice well, to hit 9-9, by the way, second shot and he won the US Open that way. <laughs> <laughs> What's the uh, what's the worst advice you hear? Oh, what's the worst in golf, advice? This could be anything really in golf. Uh, the worst advice you hear. Um, such a good question. It's got me. It's got me because probably because there's there's an awful lot out there. Is <laughs> is um, I think the worst the worst advice can often go under the umbrella of. Um, to, to, to get to the next level, you've got to do dot, 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 dot. And, and you know, I've seen many careers ruined by the, 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 I'm never sure what the next level is. I've never seen it. I don't know where you go to find it, to be honest. But this idea that you go to the next level and you have to start changing a bunch of things dramatically. Um, I think I've seen more careers ruined with that than, than the sort of idea. Actually, we've, we're pretty good. We've got where we have, you know, what, what, what can I do to just slightly refine what I'm doing? rather than make wholesale wholesale changes you know you'll you'll have, you'll have seen it as i say uh, many many careers fallen by the wayside with with the next level thinking not, i'm not saying don't try and improve i'm not saying don't try and get better of course you should be striving to get better but it's a when, you, when you're already very good it's a very subtle process of which direction you go plenty of examples of people who fun, try to change you know basic fundamentals in their game which have got them to that level and it's messed them up yeah, yeah. for sure Okay, uh, what's your best memory in golf? Best memory in golf. Um, I, I, from a coaching perspective, I, I would I would say it was. It, I suppose it's got to have been when Louis Steisen won the Open, and you know he was wearing the dot on his glove that we'd come up with as a as a, an attentional trigger. I mean, he, he went he went and won the. You know the British Open by seven shots after after never previously making a cut in a major, and you know was it all down to that red dot? Of course it wasn't. That would have been ridiculous to think that it was just it was it was something that was in the mix of an already great golfer. But um, you know it received a fair bit of press after that, and uh, you know it, I don't I don't suppose anything that I've done has ever ever, ever worked quite it's quite quite as well as that really. And, uh, <laughs> You know, it was. I've, I've always, I've always thought it would have been, it would have been wonderful as a player to stand on the final hole at St Andrews with a with a seven shot lead. But having been involved in coaching, I actually think it's better as a coach if your player's got a seven shot lead because it's <laughs> it's a, it, it's an unnerving experience when they've only got a one shot lead and uh, they're starting to leak a bit of oil coming down the last few holes. Yeah, I wouldn't fancy being on that tee. I know that. Um, what would you change in golf? Um, what would I change in golf? I think I would I would change the um, overemphasis on on science um, and, and analysis and and try and connect back a little bit more to the to the arts of the game that we've touched on today. I'm not a luddite, and I'm not saying science and, and technology can't be beneficial because it can. It can be very very beneficial, but I think you know we've talked about the scales tipping. I think the scales have tipped so far in in one direction of, 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 of analysis. And, you know, it's interesting. I was just talking with a guy today who's um, come, on, come on my podcast and of all things, he was talking about, um, about um, short sightedness and myopia is an expert on how, how the eyes work. And he, and he was saying that the idea that we go and get our eyes tested is in many ways a nonsense. He said, because you go and get your eyes tested in a fixed environment at a fixed moment in time. And he, and he said, your, your eyes ability to see is, is, you know, changes from the beginning of the day to the end of the day, depending on what you've been doing and what you've eaten and, you know, the stress that you're under and things like that. So I think, you know, we, we, we analyze so much in golf in terms of fixed situations and, you know, it has its part to play, but really the, the sort of true goal lies in, in, in watching somebody play 18 holes of golf and walking around and seeing how they truly are for, for the full 18 holes rather than just a snapshot of a moment in time that the path was this and the face was that I say it's got value that but i think um i think the art of coaching is much more about seeing that the whole dynamic system as opposed to just the golf swing which is in the middle of it all
Yeah, there's certainly been some successful coaches who didn't have the technology around and still produced world-class golfers. Um, oh, Claude Harmon talks about the game he plays with himself is to actually fix a, fix a golfer before he puts the video camera on or any technology. You know, he'll, he'll run through what it takes to fix that person with his eyes and, and, and his voice and then go, and then go from there. Hmm. Yeah, that's, I think, a great way of using technology, Piers, where you sort of, you know, you're coming up with a, some solutions yourself and then you can use technology to back that up rather than, you know, you look at the great coaches, Butch Harmon, John Jacobs. John Jacobs had a track man in his head. Yeah. yeah. You know, it, it, because, because he, he, knew, he knew what the impact factors were needed to be to produce certain, certain shots. And, and I think an over-reliance on technology Again, you know, I, I would suggest to young, to young coaches, definitely avail yourself of technology, but have a look at the teachings of great coaches from the past, you know, delve back into history, go back to the time of, you know, read, read books like Swing the Club at Ernest Jones. He was a guy who was, you know, lost, lost, lost a leg, played on one leg and, and was just a great, great player and a great, great coach in the 1930s. And that, and that, book, and that book, Swing the Club Head, written in, I think, in the 20s, maybe, or the 30s. Guess what? All these years later, the scientists saying that you should have an external focus of attention to play good golf. Well, the club head is an external focus of attention. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of good stuff. That's, it's not all just, the, you know, the latest stuff. Go back a little bit. Go back in time and search some of the great coach. You know, read Practical Golf, John Jacobs. Look at John Jacobs on YouTube. You know, spend some time, you know, I think you, you, you know, you, you both know Martin Hall really well and um, the coaching on the, on the golf channel. Martin will say, you know, the greatest influence on his career was John Jacobs. So, you know, we perhaps need to connect back with a little bit more of that. I think, you know, at the moment, rather than always looking for the latest theory, it's, it's, it's nice to keep pushing that boundary. But, um, you know, look, look back into the past. Or maybe that's just an old man speaking. I don't know. I mean, you'll, have to, you'll have to correct me. There's a lot of, there's so much truth in that. So, you know, more doesn't always mean better, does it? Sometimes no. it's dialing it back and stripping it back. Um, okay, final question. We're testing you out with these questions today, Carl. This is a good one. We always get some interesting answers with this, actually. What are three golf truths? Three golf truths are... Um, that you've no idea what's going to happen today. Yep. Um, nobody can be consistent. Um, They're all searching. Accept, for them, aren't they? <laughs> Everybody's searching yeah. for consistency. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 acceptance is perhaps the greatest skill that you can develop. Yeah. Three good truths there. Pretty good, aren't they? Came with us fast as well. He did actually. On I, the was, spot fast, you know, I was yeah. going to say out loud, it's great to see Carl struggling with pressure. <laughs> I've never got a chance to get an answer. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, I just, I just shut my, shut my eyes then and hit a three iron towards the green and up for the best. <laughs> hit it right out of the middle, that's for sure. Carl, <laughs> look, I mean, again, you know, obviously we know that, you know, we very, very much value your time. So thank you so much for that. Obviously, we love the content that you're doing on the website for us at the moment as well and the interactions you're going to be having with the Take Charge community this summer. I think it's just great. Our members love listening to you or watching the videos that you do for us. But obviously, there's a load of other stuff that you do yourself. So, what, what's next for you, and where should people go and find you? Yeah, we've um, we've been doing the uh, the Mind Factor Coach certification for uh, twenty odd years now. But uh, that's that's available for any any coaches watching uh, or listening. That's available online. You can do that now. So, if you go to the the, the website, themindfactor.com, you can have a look at that. We've also got a program coming up. I mentioned uh, Vin Harris. We've been running mindfulness certifications all through the last 12 months because of lockdown. And we've now got that as available as a, as a, as a program that you can, some videos and tutorials that, uh, that you can do in your own time. So that's going to be available, uh, available shortly. So again, have, have a look at the, at the mindfactor.com and the, and the website, the, uh, the, the the brain booster. But just wanted to say, and this isn't just because you're here and, and blowing smoke up, you both. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff out there on, on on YouTube, and I think what you guys do, you do it so responsibly. You really do do it thoughtfully and responsibly, and, and and the way you put it all together. And I think the fact that there's two of you, you keep each other in check. Yeah. And I think that's a great great partnership that you've uh, that you've developed. So I think the contribution that you're making is uh, is phenomenal. Appreciate that, yeah, Carl. Thank you. Very uh, nice to hear that. But yeah, thank you so much. Awesome, Carl. Yeah, thanks so much. 
and we'll, we'll will I get will I get a will I get a fourth visit or is that it now? Am I yeah, am yeah, I put yeah. out to grass? I think, no. you've done, I, think you've done, I think to be honest, you've done well to get three, but we uh, couldn't get anybody. That's horrible. Yeah, Carl will do it. He'll fill the gap quickly. <laughs> <laughs> couldn't get anybody else on a Monday. Carl, awesome stuff. Thanks so much. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode. We hope you found some great value in it. And if you did, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and share it with a friend. Also, let us know your feedback by leaving us a rating or review over on iTunes. And remember, if you want to go deeper and really improve your game, head over to meandmygolf.com and start your free trial and check out one of the many plans that are seeing incredible results. Thanks again for listening, and we look forward to speaking to you next week.